Welcome back to Graceway DC, a weekly podcast bringing you sermons from the pulpit of Graceway Baptist Church of Washington, DC. For this week's sermon, Pastor Brad begins a tour of God's master plan to describe his person and purpose to mankind. We begin this tour in the book of Exodus, taking a look at the sanctuary, which upon further investigation reveals insight on how God saves lost people and leads his own people. Now, let's join Pastor Brad as he opens the word. Hey everybody, welcome to Graceway. I'm glad you're here. Take your Bible if you would. Let's go to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, that's the name of our series. Delivered is the name of our series and our study and our textbook is Exodus. It was on the summit of Sinai that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and immediately after that, the Lord gave Moses blueprints for one of the most mysterious structures ever built. And it is called the sanctuary. It's a unique temple representing God's dwelling place among his people. Its overall design and services showed this young fledgling nation of Israel a three-dimensional panorama of deity, humanity, and the design for unity of man with God. Now, a diligent study into the secrets of the sanctuary will really solidify and enhance our understanding of how God saves lost people and leads his people, the saved. The sanctuary is also a key of understanding several amazing prophecies that unfold in the revelation of Jesus Christ. An exciting adventure awaits as we study and explore the sanctuary and its hidden meetings. Now, you're there in Exodus chapter 25. We took all summer to go through the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are really given in two chapters of the Bible. The creation of the entire universe is given in two chapters of the Bible. But the sanctuary holds such significance It is given in 50 chapters. It's 50 chapters through the Scripture. And this sanctuary lasts for 500 years from the time of Moses all the way up till King Solomon builds this temple. So let's read in Exodus 25 and verse number 1. Everybody there with me? Exodus 25 and verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. And every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. It's interesting here in verse number two, God tells uh, the leadership there, Moses and Aaron, that, and, that they are to speak and all the people are to bring an offering. But then it is not to be mandated it has to be given willingly but then it says it the other way about the ministers Aaron you are to take that offering it's given it's taken and it has to come from a free and willing heart verse number three and this is the offering which ye shall take of them 
gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair, verse 5, and ram skins dyed red and badger's skins and shittim wood, which is acacia wood, oil for the light. By the way, that's olive oil. And there were two ways to press that oil. One is to be burned or used as in a lamp. Uh, the other is to be used in food preparation. Oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense. Then verse number 7, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And that was the, the breastplate that the priest would wear that had the 12 gemstones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And verse number 8, and this is the theme for this new launch and this new study. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now that's very interesting because God made man a sanctuary. That's the world. It's perfect temperature most of the time. Uh, and it's a perfect everything for, for us. And we, we make sanctuaries for animals, a bird sanctuary or some wildlife sanctuary or whatever. But here God says, let man make me a sanctuary. And that is what God wants. God wants a specific place, a sacred place, a special place for him to dwell in our lives. And that's true today. But then it doesn't say, let them make me a sanctuary so I can dwell in it. He says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And my friends, this is just another evidence that God wants to be with you and I. God's desire in creating humanity is to be with you. There is no need for you to walk alone, to live alone, to feel isolated, to feel uh, segregated, separated from God. God wants to be close to you. Verse number 9 According to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so ye shall make it. Notice two times in verse number 9, it says the word pattern. God is very interested in the people giving freely from their heart, but God says you follow the pattern. You follow the instructions that I give the freedom that you have, the liberties that you have, and after you give it, and now you have to follow this pattern. It's very, very specific. In Hebrews chapter 9, it describes this pattern in intricate detail, showing that this is so much more than just a tent in the desert. And God's desire is to dwell. And so our title today is Make Me a Sanctuary. And maybe applying to your life, have you made God a sanctuary in your heart and in your life? That's the application. Jump all the way to the end of chapter 25, and that's verse number 40. It says, And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. So twice in verse number 9, and now at the end of the chapter, Wrapping everything up, you make sure that you follow the pattern that I showed you. And then there's 50 chapters of details, well, 49 
chapters, more chapters of details, outlining every element of the sanctuary. It's very significant. It's not incidental. It's not coincidental. It is foundational. This element, this tent, this tabernacle, this holy place, this sanctuary needs to be studied and understood. In Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. And this is a a letter written to the Hebrews. Many people believe from Apostle Paul. We don't necessarily know. But this is the sum that we've spoken for for these seven chapters. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, a minister of the what? of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. Now, of course, the Hebrews are going to get this. This is, this is a comparison of Jesus and the eternal, the heavenly tabernacle in comparison with the pattern, the type, the shadow. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Now, we're going to study the tabernacle that man pitched but it's pointing to what God has pitched, that tent up in heaven and that tent in our own heart. Remember again, all of these things are but shadows. All of these things are types and pictures and prophecies, predictions, illustrations, amplifications. And as we study the Old Testament, the New Testament becomes abundantly clear. You see, the tabernacle was built as a tent in the average size residential lot. Let's play that let's play that video as I describe this here. The tabernacle is pitched as an average size residential lot about 75 feet wide by 150 feet long. It's surrounded by a fence about seven and a half feet tall. It's about 18 inches taller than I. The front gate was 30 feet wide, and when you entered, you would see two things, the brazen altar and the brazen laver. The brazen altar was seven and a half feet square and about four feet tall, and it showed you that there is no worship of God without sacrifice. The brazen laver is given no dimensions, but it is used for purification of the priest as they would labor. As you would enter into the holy place and come within that veil you would see the golden candlestick or the lampstand Uh, I'm sorry the table of showbread it is three foot high and a foot and a half wide and across from it the golden lampstand which would weigh about a hundred pounds and have a value today of about two and a half million dollars with the golden altar of incense standing right before uh, the veil if you lifted that veil the same veil that was rent when Christ died. You would enter into the Holy of Holies. It is 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet, a perfect cube. Within is the golden altar, uh, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant, and the mercy seat. Over the mercy seat is the two cherubims with outstretched wings, Uh, looking down on the blood of the sacrifice that was poured out from the brazen altar within. 
All of this shows the revelation of deity. It shows the illustration of humanity. And it is a demonstration of unity that God wants to have with you and I. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, they're in the garden. They walked out on God. God set the parameters and the rules, and they broke those. And that inner chamber within their own hearts was left void as they died. They didn't die physically. They didn't die intellectually or emotionally. But they died spiritually. And that death is a separation between two things. And that is when that separation started between God and man. So let's look at our first point this morning. Everybody ready? Here we go. Number one, it is the tent, the tabernacle, the sanctuary is a revelation of deity. God wants to reveal something about himself. God doesn't want to leave you and I guessing and misunderstanding and getting things wrong as so many of the heathen do. But God wants to reveal himself to you and I. Now, as we looked at that tent and that tabernacle, it is drab on the outside, but it is rich and beautiful, delightful within. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 2, describing Jesus our Messiah, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. As a matter of fact, he's referred to as the peasant from Galilee. But you have to come in that door and, and behold Jesus, the redeeming king, before you see the grandeur and the beauty. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14, the Bible says, The natural man receiveth not the things of God, uh, the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And you've found that out. You've tried to witness to your friends and talk about heaven or righteousness or the things of God. And they're, they're like pie in the sky. They talk about God and heaven and righteousness. It, it's foolishness. And they can't understand them. Neither can he know them. Because why? They are spiritually discerned. It's that holy of holies. It's that innermost chamber. It's the spirit of God connecting with the spirit of man. And when you're lost, when you haven't repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ, that part of you is dead. Physically, you're very much alive. Intellectually, you could be a genius. But spiritually, there's something missing. What is the revelation of deity? that the Messiah is spiritual and within. And the only way to see the Messiah is to come in that door. Jesus said, I am the door. He's the door. In the book of John, there's seven I am's. It's a great study of, of the seven I am's of John. Well, we're going to do that next week in our Sunday school class. And then the eighth time is when when he says, I am, just referencing uh, uh, God speaking to, to Moses. But they all correspond with the seven pieces of furniture there in the sanctuary, the tabernacle, all pointing to Jesus, our Messiah. See, the tabernacle is a portrait 
of the Messiah. Jesus or God sent a picture before he sent the person of Jesus Christ. So in John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And that corresponds with the table of what? Of showbread. And on that table, there were uh, 12 loaves of bread representing to the 12 tribes of Israel there in the desert. God will supply all your need. And let me tell you today that God will supply every need you have. Those that have trusted him have never found God wanting. David said, I have been young and now am old and have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. You are no fool to trust the living God. In John chapter 8, in verse number 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And that's referring to those seven golden lampstands or that candlestick illuminating the inner chamber uh, of, the, of the tabernacle. In John chapter 10, he said, I am the door. And that's referring to the veil. And there's really two veils, one from the outer court to the inner court and then from the inner court to the innermost or the holy of holies. And later on in John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. Speaking of his management, his leadership of, of his followers. In John 11, he said, I am the life. In John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. By the way, the Jews referred to that innermost veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies as the way. The way to what? The way to God. And Jesus said, I am the way, the way to God. John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and ye are the what? The branches. See, the the menorah or the golden candlestick, the lampstand that burned that olive oil within the, uh, the tabernacle there. Later, young Samuel would, would sleep in that area and make sure that the olive oil was filled in that lampstand and it would never go out. It was to never go out. Is is made of one, one chapter that would go from the base right up to the top lamp. And then there were six branches that would come and connect into the main chapter, thus referencing Jesus and his illustration of the grapevine. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. And so Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But then he said, ye are the light of the world. As we are connected into Christ, we too can illuminate the area in which we live. Do you see this revelation of deity and how God is, is revealing himself. But two, number two here, it is an illustration of humanity, which is just sort of kind of fancy preacher talk for, for it shows who you are. It shows how you are a, like a tent, a tabernacle made of three rooms. It's the three parts to our humanity. See, we spoke earlier of the outer court, the inner court, and then the innermost court. And these really picture, picture the triune nature of man. You are a house 
of three rooms. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse number 23, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And this is interesting. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just a second ago, we, we entered into the tabernacle and we came from outside and we saw the, the brazen altar and then the brazen laver and then we came in and saw the table of showbread and, and the golden lampstand and we came from outside in. But actually, everything in the Bible is referenced from the inside out. As a matter of fact, next week we're going to study the golden Ark of the Covenant. The very first thing described is not the outward parts, but the inward parts. And thus referencing that salvation and interaction with God is initiated from God to us. God became man and dwelt among us. It's it's an amazing thing. Everybody tracking with me? Everybody following here? So it's an illustration of our own humanity. So with your body, you have physical life. And with your soul, you have psychological life. The Greek word for soul is your, your psyche. It's where, where we get psychology and psycho, uh, psychiatry. And with your spirit, you have spiritual life. In John chapter 4 and verse number 24, it says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 4, it references that our spirit is dead before we're saved. Now, you've witnessed to people before, and they don't get it, and they don't understand it. And you're like, it's right here. Don't, don't you see it? And here's what you need to understand. Without the Holy Spirit of God guiding them, there is no understanding. The best we can do is reform people. We can teach them not to do this and to do that, and we reform people. Unfortunately, many parents um, are trying to reform their kids, or uh, husbands or wives are trying to reform their spouses or but that's physical. That's all that religion can do. But God works from the inside out, and he rejuvenates. He makes you again. It's a new creation. God created everything once, and then it all fell apart. And now God, by permission, with a willing heart, enters in and recreates people. If you have a loved one, and you're concerned about their salvation, you need to be praying and depending on the Holy Spirit of God. And then you'll feel the Holy Spirit of God leading you and directing you to say this and not say that. Whoa, don't lose your cool here. We're, we're trying to work here. We're trying to do something. Don't get in the way. So it's an illustration of humanity. We have three kinds of life. We have physical life. We have psychological life. And we have spiritual life. And it's all pictured here in the tabernacle. So the outer court, it represents our body. And the two elements there, the brazen altar, the brazen laver, both speak of sacrifice and purification. In Romans chapter 12, in verse number one, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your 
bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's a living sacrifice. That's, that is a picture, that's an illustration of that first thing that you see when you come in. Now, honestly, when you would come into this religious tent, it would not be beautiful and ornate. The first thing you would see, it would have dirt floor and just these somewhat plain um, uh, walls, around seven and a half feet tall walls. But you would see the brazen altar, seven and a half feet square. So I only can reach a little bit more than six feet. And and so it's a, it's a big, humongous thing, about four feet tall with big horns on the outside. And then there would be lambs on there burning. It was a bloody, it was smoky, it was not a beautiful thing. And it really shows you the penalty and the price for our sin. The way to God is through sacrifice. That's the outer court. It represents the body. Beyond that brazen altar is that laver, that brass laver. Laver mean, means to wash. You talk about going to the lavatory. That, that's where we get that word. And so it's a, it's a place to be purified, to be cleansed. And, and Christian, we need to stay clean. If you remember uh, Peter and Jesus, and Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet. And Peter, he's like, no, no you're, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if, if I don't wash your feet, I can have no part with you. Of course, Peter, he's like, what are you talking about? Well, in that case, wash everything. Jesus said, well, you're getting out of control here, bud. Um, simmer down, Pete. Um, I just need to wash your feet. And that's us. Once you're saved, you are purified. You're fit for heaven. But as you walk the dusty pathway of this life, as you interact with others, as you're walking about, you're going to get earth stuck to you on your feet. And you've got to go back into God and say, God, I'm sorry. This is influencing me. This is changing how I feel. This is changing how I look. Uh, Lord, I want your image in my life. Lord, help me. And I, I want to encourage you, as a Christian, you've got to keep going back. How often do you got to go back to that labor? Well, as I mentioned earlier, there's no physical dimensions to that element. Everything else is precisely given. Why is the labor without dimension it's because the washing of the water by the word is available to all and god can god can clean you up and clean you up and clean how many of you would say i have confessed this same exact sin more than five times in my life would you read how about 10 times who would be so crazy bold as to say more than a hundred times i've confessed the same sin and yet, there is still cleansing available in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that wonderful? It's true. It's an illustration of us. Now, if you go from the body into the soul, that is the inner court. That is the mind, the emotion, and the will. The mind, that's intellectual. Emotional, that's how you feel. And then the will. Now, we can connect with people physically and, and uh, do physical things, play basketball or 
go out to eat or do these things, and, and that's good. But then you want to go beyond that and you want to connect intellectually. You want to share ideas and thoughts. And even further, you go emotions and you feel these same emotions and you listen to music or you uh, experience something together and that's wonderful. Or, or the will and you decide to do something together. We're going to uh, write a book or we're going to uh, run a mile or we're going to you know, join this club or we're going to do this. Man, that's wonderful. And you have connected not just physically, but you have connected on the intellectual and the emotional, the willful element. That's speaking of that, that second sanctuary there, the holy place it is called. And within that, that's the light. The golden candlestick is in there. The provision, the bread is there. That's why when you talk to people, you want to look at them and see them. And that's why um, sitting face to face is so much more effective than connecting on the phone and you're just talking to them. You don't get to see because the Bible refers to the eyes as the window to the soul. The window to the soul. Parents, you know this with your kids. You look at them and you can see down inside there. And you know if they're lying. You know if they're telling the truth. And if they say, I'm feeling fine. And you know, you can see right in there. And they try to pull the shutters down, but you can't pull those shutters down inside there. It's in there. And that's speaking of that inner court. Now, the innermost court, that holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the mercy seat sits as a lid on top of that, within the Ten Commandments, the pot of manna, and that... Uh, that rod that budded that represented Aaron and his position. That's the holy of holies. That's the innermost sanctum. In Romans chapter 8 and verse number 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know what that means? That means that that's where God interacts with you and I. You remember that one picture of of, of ancient times with the finger of God coming and touching the, the finger of man. God doesn't really come in the physical and God doesn't really come in the intellectual. God comes in the spirit. That's what John 4 is talking about. God is a spirit. Now, Jesus, of course, had a body and, and the word of God is filled with intellectual things and we just sang and, and we want to feel these things. Feeling is, is very much a part of us. It's not a bad thing, but it's not as deep as the spiritual element of things. In John chapter 1 and verse number 14, it's speaking of Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God was born as a baby. And of course, that's what makes Christmas so incredibly special as we celebrate God tabernacling with man it's a very special thing so we've got the first two what was the first one what does the tabernacle represents number one it is a revelation of deity and number two it is an illustration of our humanity it tells us something about ourselves and now number three it is a demonstration of unity that is it explains that god wants to be unified with you and I. We talked about Adam and Eve before the fall, and then here we are after the fall. I think it was last week or maybe the week before I mentioned 
uh, Mick Jagger and his famous song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And um, it's referencing wealth and pleasure and power and prestige cannot satisfy humanity. There is something deeper in him. That is, even though the lights are out, even though God's not home within the spirit of somebody in rebellion against God, they know there's something inside of them that is deeper, that is greater than just physical, that is greater than just intellectual or emotional or willful, and it is the spiritual element. See, it's a demonstration of the way to God. It's a demonstration that life has a deeper meaning than just these obvious things. Now, I want to go through these, these seven elements one more time with you. The brazen altar represented propitiation, and that simply means the penalty for our sin. Somebody had to pay the price. So back in the day, the, the Jews, the Old Testament Jews would come in and they would walk in that curtain and they would see the very first thing, the smoke going up, the flames, the coals, and then a lamb there on that altar. The second thing was that brazen labor. It speaks of daily purification. This is the way to God. Step one, I have to have somebody pay for my sin. Step two, I've got to stay clean and right. And then step three, that golden table of showbread. Speaking of God's provision, the very presence of God. And then across the way, that would be on the south side of the tent, the golden lampstand. Speaking of sight and vision. And he is the light of the world. And Jesus said in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So these are, this is vision to see in the spiritual world, in the spiritual realm. The very end, just before entering into the Holy of Holies, is the golden altar of incense, which is an interesting piece. And here's why. The book of Exodus clearly states that the golden altar of incense is to be in the holy place, not the holy of holies. But as you study the book of Hebrews, it references the golden altar as in the holy of holies. And from God's perspective, it is. Here's why. The priest would take a coal from over here at the brazen altar, there where the sacrificial lamb was poured. And he would have these special little pincers and he would take this coal and he would bring it and put it in the golden altar. And then he would take some special incense and pour it on top of that coal. And it would uh, create a beautiful, sweet-smelling smoke that would fill the whole room. And it would go through the veil and up and over the veil. And so into the Holy of Holies would come this beautiful fragrance. By the way, that fragrance is a representation of our prayers. When you pray, you're standing here physically or maybe you're kneeling physically 
emotionally, hopefully you're engaged. Intellectually, you're engaged. Willfully, you're saying, I'm going to pray. I'm going to go through this prayer list. I'm praying for my friends or my country or my siblings or whoever. So all of this is engaged. Physically, I'm engaged. Intellectually, emotionally, willfully, I'm engaged. And those prayers transcend this realm and they enter into heaven. As a matter of fact, Revelation speaks of prayers as being in heaven, just like the golden altar of incense. Isn't that cool? It's an amazing thing that you can enter the very throne room of God in a supernatural way, living right here in the world today. And then as you enter into that Holy of Holies, that Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, it represents the very presence of God. By the way, the priest could only go in there once a year. And the priest would go in with fear and trembling because it represented God and his perfection, his presence. All of this is pointing. There is a way to God. And you have to go through each of those elements. Now, theoretically, you could say, well, what if I was to climb in the side? Do you ever wonder that? Like, was there ever some mischievous little kid that would like try to come in the side? How many of you would be afraid that you would probably try to be one of those? I'm telling you, I'd be like, oh my goodness. There's, um, there's record that many priests actually died entering into that Holy of Holies. Matter of fact, the whole movie series about Indiana Jones and all the... Um, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's not talking about Noah's Ark. and Because how could the children of Israel carry Noah's Ark through the desert? That's okay, it's not going to happen. It's talking about this Ark of the Covenant. They need to do more archaeology on that, I think. All of this is pointing to God and His redemption and how He wants to be unified with us. The way to God and the true meaning of life is supernatural. Now, I just just have a, an, a minute here, and maybe, Deborah, you can play our music here just to close this up. But the book of John also reflects in this in such amazing detail. In John chapter 1 and verse number 29, one of my favorite passages, it's a picture of the golden altar, uh, of the, the brazen altar, where John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's the first element. And then just turn over a page or two to John chapter 3 and verse number 5. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's talking about entering into the holy place. It's talking about coming into the into the region beyond where you started that physical region is referencing that labor and purification in John chapter 6 and verse number 35 says and Jesus said unto them I am the bread of life and he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst it's talking about God's provision it's talking about the sustenance that we need each and every day in john chapter 9 in verse number (laughs) 5 jesus is speaking of the light as and referencing the golden candlesticks 
As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I drew a little menorah right there next to it. Yeah. <laughs> as we come to the end of that, we enter into the Holy of Holies. And that is the pure satisfaction that you can have in life. God doesn't want you to be miserable and feel alone and empty and incomplete and get no satisfaction. Satisfaction comes from God. We get it all wrong. Oh, if I just had a sibling, I would be satisfied. Oh, if I just had a spouse, I would be satisfied. Oh, if I just had a better job. Oh, if I had grandkids. Oh, if I just had this position. If I had a car, if I had a house, if I had a second house if I had more time off, if I had more work to do. And all these different people try all these things, and you can find the richest people, the most famous people, the most intelligent people in the world live in dissatisfaction. You know where you'll find satisfaction? It's in the Holy of Holies. It's that inner sanctum, the spiritual world that connects with God. I want to read three verses. And, um, and then we'll be done. Verse number 20. John chapter 17, verse number 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He's talking about starting the church and these people are going to go out and those people are going to connect and those people are going to connect and there'll be more believers as we go. In verse number 21, that they all may be what? One. That's talking about unity. That's where we get our third point here. It's a demonstration of unity with God. As thou, Father, art in me. As unified as Jesus is with God. We don't even understand that. And I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That's what God wants. Look at this next verse. Verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. The last verse, verse number 23. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may what? The world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. You know what that means? It means God's design for all of humanity is unity and love and connection to God and in heaven. God never intended people to be stumbling around not knowing the way, barely getting from day to day. God wants you to live with purpose. But it starts with, behold the Lamb of God. Behold Jesus the Messiah. Have you repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you made Jesus your Lamb of God? I said that wrong just now. We have no power to make Jesus. You just acknowledge it. It's true. It's true. It's true. But you know what man does in his rebellion? I won't say it do it 
stop fighting, stop struggling, and say, it's true. God loves me. Jesus died for me. I repent of my sins, and I trust Christ. Would you stand with me to your feet? We're studying the tabernacle. It's just a a brief overview to get started today. It's going to be amazing as we get into it. I hope you don't miss a week. It's going to be amazing. So much to learn. I'm so excited. But it all starts with Jesus. Would you uh, bow your heads and hearts before the Lord? Maybe close your eyes and shut out all the distractions around you. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Today's the day. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus. He died for you. He is God's provision for you. He is the way to God. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life, referencing the tabernacle. Maybe you've been saved for some time, but have let some sort of sin, some sort of lie or lust or some element creep into your heart. Would you just wash that clean? Would you just expose that to God and say, God, I'm not going to hide it anymore. I need to get this taken care of. And do that now even as I pray and you pray from the very sanctuary of your heart. Father, you desire a sanctuary with us. And Lord, we yield our hearts to you and we tear down the idols of lust desire. We tear down the idol of pride and arrogance. Lord, we ask that you would just rule and reign from the throne room of my heart, of our hearts. If you've never trusted Christ, pray something like this. God, save me. I believe Jesus to be the Lamb of God. He was born, lived, died for me. And I recognize Jesus as my Savior now. God, save me. Just whisper that from your heart. God, save me. Forgive me of my sin. Rescue me from the penalty of sin, hell. And Lord, begin to make me into the person you designed me to be. I pray that I would not be selfish, live an isolated life, but I would live a life following you. And I pray that you would do a great and mighty work in my heart. Maybe if you're a Christian here today and there's some besetting sin, listen, there's still the precious water of the Word of God to cleanse you. It is without limitation. It is without dimension. God will purify you. Many of us have come again and again and again and again for the same sin. Would you come again right now? Say, God, I need my feet washed again. I got them dirty. Lord, I want to be more careful. Help me. Help me to live for you. I want nothing between you and me. Purify me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We know that themes and topics repeated in Scripture hold a certain significance. For something to be discussed 50 times 
must signify a serious amount of significance. Something that Pastor mentioned about this significant dwelling place stood out. In Exodus 25, 8, the Lord ordered the construction of the sanctuary, not so that he would have a place to hide away in, but so that he would have a place in which to dwell among his people. His people didn't deserve that then, and his people don't deserve that now with the Holy Spirit's indwelling. But that's the God we serve, a God of grace that has chosen in his great love to reconcile us to himself throughout history, and one day finally, when we see him face to face. We'll see you next time on Graceway DC.